this experiment and my idea this afternoon was to give you a little bit of a download of what's moving in me about the context of what we're doing and then have some time for discussion and dialogue about it. Um, but first I want to say something about this process that's got us all together here at this time um, has precipitated uh, another level of teachings coming in and the way my process worked is when Haydn first came on my radar in 2000 it was part of this landing of a New Zealand mystery school and as a group formed here <clears throat> there was some very specific teachings that came through it ended up writing four books over a couple of years and the reason the teachings came through is because we needed them so we needed them in practical application, not just for intellectual curiosity. It was that we had no idea what we were doing. And so the teachings were support from subtle worlds, other dimensions to support us in, in what we were doing. And then they went for a number of years and then they stopped. And um, this training, they've started again. And something about the coronavirus and everybody being trapped here and um, uh, has precipitated the need for more inflow. So it's almost like, um, um, you know, a, a supply and demand, you know, you get given what you need. It's like instructions when you need them, but otherwise you don't need them. So there's something about them that's flowing in for me that I also want to flow into the field in case it's useful, because I feel like there's a lot of focus here um, on our energy on relating and also on doing and on the physical plane and sometimes it's easy to forget why we're doing it and why we're relating and what we're doing it for and my perception of a space is that it has always been and it still is a great experiment so it's actually for the generations to come and we're in kind of a willing offering of ourselves as a laboratory for what's trying to come through um, rather than so much of being a place for us to receive what it is that we feel like we want. So there's a spirit of sacrifice here. There's a spirit of um, offering into the mystery and the unknown to see what wants to happen rather than us all having opinions about how it should be done or could be done or it's supposed to be done. So somewhere in there is a, is a deep surrender, a deep listening, which is why the meditative life of our community is so important as well, because we all listen in different ways, but to hear what's trying to happen. So I want to give just a little br broader context about how this relates to what's happening on the planet and then specifically to you know, our life here as community. And in terms of what's happening on the planet, um, I suppose the simplest way of saying that is it's the, it's the initiation of the personality of the earth into the soul. And most people we know feel like the, the, the core malady of the planet is disconnection from the sacred source of where we come from. And so the preoccupation has then been around survival and the functioning of the personal world rather than the revelation of the, of the soul. So for anyone who's interested in esoterics, this is a really important chart to kind of download into your software because it puts a frame of reference, allows for a frame of reference for what's happening. And different traditions have different versions of this chart, but it's all pretty much the same, which is just 
that one way of realizing how trapped we are in the box is to realize how many layers there are outside the box. So we often think on earth of the kingdoms of nature, of the mineral kingdom, the, the animal kingdom, the human kingdom. Um, but the esoteric teachings say they're just the lower three worlds, that there are kingdoms beyond human. So specifically in this map, there's seven kingdoms and the humans is the fourth. So we have three kingdoms beneath us, but we have three kingdoms above us. And the way we treat the three kingdoms beneath us is how we expect to be treated by the kingdoms above. So part of, you know, the Lord giving humans dominion over the earth has put us at the top of a pyramid. That is actually not true. We're not at the top of a pyramid. We're halfway up something. And so when we put ourselves at the top of the pyramid, then we deny the higher three kingdoms, which means we repress and control the lower three and feed off them. So part of awakening again as humanity is recognizing where we are in the scheme of things. Not at the top, not at the bottom, actually in the middle. And then awakening to the fact that we're in the middle means we can get help from the top three kingdoms in the same way that we can pass that through. So the ultimate role of humanity is to act as a transmitter of a much deeper love and life into the world of the animal kingdom and the vegetable kingdom and the mineral kingdom, not as a kind of dependent prey sitting on top of them, chewing them up. So this revolutionary awakening on the planet is the, is the birth of the soul awareness back into earth. And what a mystery school is or what a temple is, it's a, is a chakra in the awakening body of the planet. So the most important thing to get about these charts is that where the personality lives is it thinks that it's the whole world but it's only half of a world. In fact, it's only a part of a much bigger world. And so part of awakening through meditation is, is building the bridge between this world and these worlds so this world can flow through this world. Okay, so if we look at the whole of Earth, Earth is very much in this world. And now the coronavirus is representing the and esoteric astrology, the Pluto-Saturn transit. That was the transit that we were expecting this year and we didn't know what it was going to play out at. Well, what it's playing out at is everybody locked in their homes, which is Saturn. It's just pure Saturn. Limitation, restriction, go to your room, stay there. It's the, it's the, the, it's the, the father principle saying you have been confined to quarters. Okay, so how the great Saturn works is Saturn operates here on this part of the mental plane. So it's this piece between the personality and the soul. And Pluto is this arrow coming up from matter trying to break that. So what we're probably going to expect is for that Saturn restriction to be in place and we're all saying yes to it because we're afraid of dying. So in other words, the, the, there's two aspects to it. One is love that we care about our old people and we care about our communities. But the other is underneath it is fear of death, that we don't want the virus to flood through and cause unnecessary deaths because <coughs> underneath that, that triggers our fear of death. 
And so we're saying yes to the limitations that the world's putting on us by our politicians and, and, and scientists because we, we don't want to die. However, what's likely to happen is because we're not in control of nature and because this virus is part of a much bigger awakening process, it's not just a random happening that our medical community can overwhelm, we're likely to end up with restrictions causing rebellion. So after a while, people are going to become uh, tired of being restricted. And, and so the energies of Pluto are going to want to show more powerfully. So the deeper picture to understand why, why this fits into the great scheme of things is this decade between 2020 and 2030 goes through the time of major crisis between the world soul and the world personality. So the deeper objective of Saturn um, being broken by Pluto is our fear of death and our limitation of thinking we are just these lower three worlds has to be broken. And so that can be broken in lots of different ways. One way is a deep revelation of the soul. You know, that the inner worlds become so potently alive for people, maybe when they're tired of watching Facebook in their, in their homes, that their inner life will open. That is one way the soul can reveal itself is through the core of our own being uh, when we listen, radically awakening. It can also awaken through um, uh, intervention from outside of us. So if the coronavirus started to show some kind of deep intelligence, for example, you know, that we began to be really aware that our scientists and our politicians are not in control of the universe. So somewhere in this decade, the soul of the world is going to reveal to the personality of the world that it is not in charge and it needs to surrender now. And what a mystery school is, is a place where that soul culture that's coming is already lived. But we don't know how to live it yet. We, don't, we have inklings and intuitions and so on, but we don't know the way. In, um, in running terms, there's this process where you get the second wind. And what the second wind is, is a lifting up of the body-mind into the energy fields. So most people, when you awaken, um, as a, as, when your chakras awaken, you go from being say a pure physical being, to all of a sudden you start to feel energy, you eat good food, you exercise, your chakras turn on a bit more, then energy starts to move through your chakras, right? So you, you know that process because you went through it. So when your energy fields start to turn on, they're lifting little lives out of your body-mind world and they're bringing those lives into your energy world. So the reason this is really important to understand in this chart is these lower three planes, they are like the body, they're called body-mind, but they're, but they're the body of a much higher level. And because they're the body, when the soul exerts will, it lifts little lives out of the body-mind into the buddhic planes, called the, into the place where our souls really live. So that second wind comes after exhaustion and depletion. 
So when you're running, right, and you've got no more energy to run anymore, and then you use your will, you say, but I'm going to run some more, then somehow energy comes from somewhere. So we're into that time before the second wind on the planet, okay, where the soul is willing this transformation, but we're going to go through the exhaustion and depletion of the resources that we have, not just the environment, but of, of everything that we know. Yes, we trust our politicians. Yes, we trust science or whatever. Gradually, we'll exhaust all of that until the resources that we have that we rely on are depleted. Maybe our bank balances are gone. Maybe all of the places that we sourced security from are gone. That's the sign the second wind is coming. So those people who are awake souls in the world know this process is going on. And instead of getting caught up in the drama of the depletion and the, the, the fear and the suffering that's going on as all of the resources dry up, they're waiting for the second wind. In fact, they are, they are agents of that second wind. So a place like this has a very specific function esoterically. This is the place where the ashrams um, function. And down here is our chakra system. So I want to show this a little bit more clearly. So the, on this plane down here, I wish I had a pen that worked. On this plane down here, there's seven subplanes. And our chakras are largely in this middle. Okay, so our heart chakra is actually up here. Um, but basically, they don't come down beneath this. This plane is like gas, liquid, and earth. So if we're looking at our chakra system that, you know, that's our energy system, that's all on these top four subplanes. That's where our chakras are. And they eventually control our body mind. So in the realm of, say, sexuality, for example, you start off with friction and just bodies going into bodies, biological drive, right? And then you awaken tantrically and now your chakras awaken and energy is moving through your chakras. And so now you can chakra breathe and you can run energy up through your chakras. And so now you can often go into that light mode of awakening, but you are not in body-mind fucking anymore. Okay, then the next level is after you've done the tantric awakening, you want to go back and integrate with your body. You want to be able to bring that energy down into your body so your body, instead of just being friction biology, is now translating your deep energy into matter, penetrating matter with spirit. So this is all happening down here. And then there's the astral plane, which also has its seven subplanes. And then there is the mental plane, which also has its seven subplanes, and this is where the causal body um, is. So most people, when, they, when you open your chakras, the very next thing that you hit is the astral world or the emotional world. So when you open, first of all, to spirit, it's actually the desire plane and the astral plane. And what can move through your chakras is, first of all, your desire from your emotional plane, 
which is why letting grief and rage and everything else move through your chakras can clear them. And then eventually you get to the point where your mind is moving the energy through your chakras. And when your mind moves your energy through your chakras, you can start to just waft with your fingers and somebody goes through kundalini or something because your will and your mind is directing the energy. Okay, so this is how, my, you know, just thinking can direct energy in a field and in our own bodies. Okay, then the next level above it, this begins, this is the fourth ether. So this is where the chakras are on the physical in the planetary sense. So the thing about a chart like this is it's fractal. So this realm here is blowing up to this realm here and then this whole realm becomes the small circle and a much bigger one and so on. So if you understand the fractal of a flower, you get the universe and vice versa. But there is a relationship between these worlds, so there's a relationship between us as human beings and individuals and between the planet as a whole and then that planet within a universe. It's this concept of hylozoism that um, William Mita talked about. So the point here is that most of humanity is being ruled still by Saturn, which rules on the concrete mental plane, which means that our mind decides what's right and wrong. This is eating from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Our mind decides what's right and wrong. The best people with the best minds, our best scientists, our best politicians have the authority to tell us how to act within the worlds. This is humanity at the top of the pyramid. But when Saturn is broken by Pluto, then all of a sudden access to these worlds opens. It's a developmental process, but it's happening en masse. When access to these worlds open, this is where your ashrams are, which are basically chakras of a much greater being. See, this is the same as that. It's just at a much greater level. And then all of this, seven, is, a, is one in a much greater one of cosmic levels. But on a planetary level, this is where our souls are all points within an ashram. And what an ashram basically is, is your soul group on subtle levels. And what a mystery school is, is a place where the chakras of the earth are in tune and able to bring energy down stably from the soul realms of the planet. Okay, so if you can align your chakras, your seven centers with the buddhic plane, then you are starting to operate your chakras with pure love. Instead of with desire or with mind, now buddhi or love at the center of the system is operating through your chakras. So that, that, then your chakras transmit natural healing because they're coming from that plane. That's on the individual level. So when people talk about energy moving through their chakras, they're talking about a lot of different things. They can be talking about emotional energy moving through the chakras. They can talk about sexual energy. They can talk about mental energy and buddhic energy. 
Ultimately, the energy of the void moving through your chakras, your dark body, means that you're in touch with this void energy here. But the main thing for a mystery school is you've got to be able to hold, not be ruled by mind, but you've got to be able to hold this current, this vortex up to the ashram and be able to hold it stably on the physical plane so that you have a vortex. If when you have that vortex, you can have human souls come into it and they can accelerate their liberation. And because this is a chakra, it allows energy to be funneled all of the way down into matter. In a temple like this, one is there's an energy that liberates consciousness from body-mind. So that's the energy that vortexes up. And then there's also an energy that allows subtle energies from the higher planes of the planet and cosmos to come into form. So both those energies are happening in any kind of center. So what is the intelligence that runs a chakra? Because what we're doing here is when we all come together and we're all operating here, we're forming an energy field. And energies moving through that field are actually the prime thing that's going on. Doesn't mean that we don't also pay attention to all of the other details, like the laundry and the gardens and all of these things. They're important, they're material, but they're important. But they all form part of an energy field. And the holding of that energy field on the physical plane is the most important thing that we're doing. Because if that energy field is held, then the soul of the world can experiment with us. It can reveal through us steps forward which humanity itself will be taking in the future. That's why it's a laboratory. So the things that are really important in any energy field um, is you need community, which is what we call the second ray field. This, this is what creates a cohesive field. So you need that sense of relationship, that our hearts are connected to each other. You also need um, something that anchors you to the physical plane. And that's Haydn. That's this beautiful house and property that's got things that need doing. Okay, one of the most powerful things about these teachings is they come in when there is something to apply them to. So having the outer project is really important because it grounds community in form and function. But then the other pole is you've got to have the spiral up to this deep energy of purpose in the planetary soul. And that energy is what's coming in. So the big danger, or the three dangers, you know, in this kind of community, one is these functioning without each other. So if, if this is, becomes the major point of focus, we all need to get to the physical plane and work. We all need to be like doing stuff. You can lose this and you can lose that. If this becomes the major point of focus, we're all in personal process all of the time, nothing gets done, and we lose the point of why we were here. 
If this becomes the focus the whole time, we just focus on the purpose and the subtle worlds and we lose the potency of grounding and anchoring what we're doing in matter. So the point of making sure that these three energies, said that the energies of synthesis are operational, which means um, making sure our alignment process works. And if you apply this chart to here, the biggest danger on the planet is, has been a fall into this spiral. Which means that we, you know, collectively are down here somewhere and we've lost the connection to the ashram, which is our real community. We've lost the connection to our soul community and we think we are our human doing. We think we are this world ruled by mind. So the big danger is materialization. If you materialize too much, you fall down into doing and you fall, fall down into the importance of the physical plane and you lose community and you lose the heights. So that's why the, 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 it's really important to make sure that this is alive. And then that can pull us back up into community. So the, the, the experiment, the beautiful experiment is how to care about matter, because matter is divine as well, and how to ground what we're doing in physical plane form without losing the deep connection to why we're doing it. So how we collectively create those structures is going to be up to us. We're not in, you're not in a training anymore. And so that isn't being held. And what is visible is the need for doing collectively, which is wonderful. What's invisible is the deep motivation of why we're here. That's invisible, but it's alive in each one of you. And, I, and the purpose of this talk is to make that invisible thing alive in each one of you as important as anything that you do here. And to make sure that that's on the altar every day somehow. Whether it's through meditation or whether it's through um, conversation or contemplation or um, uh, inner soul searching. But somehow coming back every day to that deep reason for being and that that being is not just your purpose it's aligned with a much greater purpose and I would say the minimum of that greater purpose is the offering of ourselves to this grand experiment at least of this decade on the planet of transformational change between the personality and the soul so the invitation of working with the esoterics is to help keep reorienting your mind to the inner worlds so that it creates a stable vortex of inspiration that there is inspiration and impression coming in driving our activity otherwise the activity begins to drive everything and that's what's gone on in the outer world so you know i may do a transmission once a week that's my plan 
um, and I'm spending a lot of my time in this pause in uh, my work, my doing, is in deep listening and in writing. Um, there's lots of ways to do your doing, and a lot of the doing here is being done in, on the physical plane, which is beautiful. It's very grounding and very earthing. But I also want to make sure that you have time, you make time in your own worlds for both uh, the loving, which is the practice of being in community that isn't just focused on doing, and the being, which is why you are here, and not just why your personality has come, but why you're here on a deeper level. And I also want to say that this, this community um, is not just about building community. We're not just here to have community. If we were, because that would be like an eco-village or somewhere where people are choosing for lifestyle reasons to come together and then work out how to be together. Well, this is much more intense than that. And the intensity that's here is not going to change just because we now have 50 people. It's probably going to increase. And the fact that we have 50 or 60 people is not, um, going to mean that what lives at the core of this place is watered down to suit everybody's personality. It's not going to be that way. The fire is still going to be here. And the fact that we're not in a container anymore in a training is in a way going to be more challenging rather than less because it means we don't have the, the, the holding and the structures to support the reminding us all of the time of why we're here. So it's going to be much more easy to fall into the ideas of community and world that are out there rather than what this place is for. But fortunately, the work of what's living here has been done so much and so well that what's here is not going to change. We may change, but it won't change. So um, the, the invitation collectively as we start to live this community is to listen together to have revealed to us what this being wants as an outpost of the soul of the world. In old mystery schools like um, Pythagoras, for example, had a mystery school in Cretona. And when you came into the mystery school, you were silent for a year. You weren't allowed to talk for a year. And you certainly were not allowed to offer an opinion <laughs> about how things should be run in the school because, because you didn't know enough yet. You didn't know enough to know that you didn't know anything. You were bringing in ideas from another world where those things were valued, like your opinions and stuff. And then you were bringing them into a field where nobody gave a shit about your opinions and particularly about arguments between people's opinions to see whose opinion was the biggest opinion, the rightest opinion, to go to the top of the pyramid and rule everybody else's opinion. Because that's how it's out there in the world. That doesn't work in a mystery school. Nobody cares whose opinion is right or how things should be done because nobody is here deciding how to do things. Nobody knows how to do anything. Everybody is in the mystery. So something else has to run a community than what runs the community in the world, which is mainly mind. It's mainly mind that runs it out there. Mind, opinion, data, facts, experience. Um, but that's the thing that's been broken. 
satins what's been broken. So then how does the mystery truly run it? And this has been something that I know in, in Esther has been part of the culture and increasingly as people get the next, the next technology and they talk about the void. Well, the void, I'm making decisions from the void. Yeah, okay, that, that sounds good, but those sounds like the same decisions you would, you would make before, but now you're using the void as an authority. So to truly listen and to be guided um, is a totally different thing than to, to think that you know. So part of living here together is going to be a continual surrender of what we know and a, and a continual reminder of why we're here, listening to allow the mystery to unfold and then finding ways to stay in love with each other while we listen and while we don't know and while we're in the mystery and be in the delight of all is well that the chaos and the and things not being done properly and you know like all of that is proper is part of it we're not here to create a better world than the world out there from the same level of thinking that the world out there is and there are so many communities all over the planet that are full of either rebellion, which is like, fuck you, you didn't do it right, and, you, and, you, and mommy and daddy didn't love me, so we're going to make a world that's better. And most rebellious communities end up folding. Um, or they're just alternatives, which is just a variation of the same. So, for example, in the Christian church, there are 49,000 different Christian sects. So they're all like still doing Christianity, but they're slightly different. The virgin birth, not quite virgin birth, or that like, you know, some other, lots of different sects. So there's also lots of different attempts at community coming from mind and maybe even more enlightened mind than the last mind, but they're still just sects of the same system. For it truly to be a mystery, we've got to be, we've got to master our own terror. Our terror that nobody knows what the fuck is going on and nobody is in charge and there is no solutions except to listen deeply every day to the mystery as it's coming through you, show up as much as you can in love and, and then if there are structures and forms that are in the outside, how to play with those in a way that is not restricted by them but just brings forth our creativity in those structures and forms. So um, part of our mystery as a community is to be in the livingness of that. And I certainly wake up every morning incredibly excited about that possibility of what's going to happen here. At the same time, it's also really challenging. One of the other things that's going on for people is a deep tearing between the center of the personality which is the emotional body and the center of the soul which is the buddhic body and what that looks like is often a tearing between your personal love of family and your willingness to experiment in soul family experiment so many people can't get home and people, their families are calling them. Does anybody relate to that? Is that going on here? Yeah. 
I know for me last night, my mum was taken to hospital and she's broken her hip. And, um, and it may be the end for her. Like that may be the way that she is going and no one can visit her. And of course my personal heart is in grieving, feeling her. And at the same time, I know by checking with her soul, she's like, do what you're doing, like I'm great. Um, but those are two different worlds. It's the personal world and the transpersonal world. They don't need to be separate, but often we have to choose. And, and particularly in this time in the world, we're choosing which one is our home. And the greater always includes the lesser. If you choose the greater world of, of the soul, you'll still be given the opportunity to connect deeply with the people that you love. You'll just become the person they come to in times of crisis rather than the person they talk to every day. So you'll still have that connection. But if you choose the personal world and make that your home, you actually lose and let go of the transpersonal often. So it's a dilemma here every, time, every day. If you give yourself to a big journey, like the journey of the soul landing on the planet, it means there's less and less time for you and less and less time for your personal self and less and less time for the agendas that you had. They gradually get weaned away. So if we also know that that's going on, we can support each other in that process. It's a very tender process to get caught between um, dynamics in your own heart about what, what's important to you. Okay, so there's a bit of a download about the context of what's happening here within um, the global one. What, what interests you about that? What have you got to say about that? What dialogue wants to come out of that? What's that? I can't hear you. I still can't hear you, Joy. Life. What? Life's come, that life has been drawn out of us? No, earlier you were explaining um, as we transition from personality into the soul, you yes. were that the little lives get drawn up. Ah, the little lives that get drawn up, yeah. Okay, so um, like I said, if you have a second wind, when your energy body turns on, it doesn't come out of nowhere. The little lives that are inside our physical body release, their, um, release themselves from the physical and take up um, life in our energy bodies. So our chakras are formed from lives that have been liberated out of our physical then going into our energy field. Okay, does that make sense? So that's what the second wind is. The second wind is like if you force yourself to run past or you go to the gym and you force, you generate energy by popping these lives up into your energy fields. Now you have a stronger energy field. Okay, so here, human beings who are focused in the personality are part of the form nature of the planet. And if energy is applied from the ashrams, which is what the Shambhala impact is, is energy from the will dropping down and being applied to the planetary personality, the result is it liberates people out of mind onto the buddhic plane. 
It's a, it's a forced process of evolution. In the same way that a runner is forcing your body to do what your body doesn't want to do. And in that forcing it, it gives you the energy to do it. So as the Shambhala impact lands and as 2025 comes, the mass awakening for humanity is a lifting of people's identity from mind into the solar ashram. What that looks like on the inside of the experience is I'm being drawn towards a deeper part of myself which looks like soul awakening and all of the things that we go through, synchronicities and blah, blah, blah. But it's a result of the world soul applying the will at this point in evolution. And what we're undergoing here in this mystery school is going to happen to mass humanity. Okay, so the, the, it's just beginning. Over the next decade, this process of group initiation has been instigated on the planet, which means that more and more groups of people are going to have to go through a radical awakening process. And as that gathers steam, um, of course it will happen more easily to you if you give your consent. But once it gets to a certain point, it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen because of the circumstances and the pressure that will drive it. So if you're an early adopter and you give your consent to the process, you get to be liberated fast out of your body-mind. And the idea is that these, these ashrams, which are a true home of the soul, are populated by lives that come out of this pyramid you pop up into here, so now you become self-aware. You remember who you are as a soul, why your incarnation, who your soul family is. And now if you can stay in incarnation on the physical plane, now you can help create this vortex of a mystery school. Okay, because what a mystery school is, people who are consciously awake souls in incarnation. In the past and previous cycles, that initiation often meant physical death. And still many people, when they die in existential crisis, go and take up residence in the inner worlds and support from there, but they don't have a body anymore. If you can die and stay in your body, so if you can awaken, which is a release of your identity with body-mind, and yet stay in body-mind, now you are a stable bridge between worlds. Yeah. Two questions. One simple one. How many ashrams do you have there? And what's the difference between them? Sure. Yeah. Well, in this model, there's seven ashrams, and they each have a sub of seven. So there's 49, 49 ashrams. Mm -hmm. And on the monadic plane, there's just seven. So this is your, you know, when we study the rays, your ashram depends upon your ray and sub-ray of your soul. So, for example, if you're in education, um, then you might be a second-ray soul, but there's different ways of being in education. You could be a leader or a teacher, or you could be a you, know, you could create education programs online. They're a different kind of um, subtle expression of energy. Other question? Yeah. So I wonder about the gaze on human history. 
because the, the spiraling down into materialism is more of the modern age. Like yeah. If you look even uh, mid, uh, medieval age, everything yep. was very religious. Everybody yep. believed in the you know in angels and theology was more important than what they had in front of their eyes in yeah. surgeries and stuff like that. Yeah. So if we are, what, what do you see is the, like, can you have a, can you give a kind of a map of, of history? Because I'm sure you're not talking about uh, coming back to a religious world. Right. But then, some question is, there is some fascination in the um, materialism because you can prove things. Mm. Like science can, you know, it need to be proven. Mm. And in spirit, theology, even this, you know, it's all, all maps, mm. even psychology in its best actually can't be proven. Yeah. So how do we prevent ourselves as humanity from going into tons of yeah, opinions basically and mm. fighting between each other mm. um, when it's not there's lots of questions there. Um, the, the first one is the history question. My experience of it is like, as humanity has evolved, then the astral plane has, has been the home of major religions because it's faith and emotion and devotion and mysticism and so on. Once we got onto the mental plane, then came in the separative power of the mind, scientific thinking. So scientific materialism has been a development from the superstition of the astral plane, but it's created another huge problem, which is now, uh, which, is, which is that we, we don't believe in God anymore because God hasn't shown up in our mental propositions. So it's not a faith, it's mind has dominated, but that mind has shut out um, uh, the development of the heart, which religion should be part of. And largely because most religions future-proofed themselves and you know, made their dogma, they made the mind of the religion was inferior to modern scientific thinking. So if they had developed the mind of religions like science predecessors, then I feel like religions would have a much better chance. Um, the second question, which is like, how do we just not create new dogmas, um, is that mind that is seeking to be on top of other minds and to be on the top of the pyramid is just going to create more of that. Mind that seeks to liberate from mind itself is a different kind of mind, abstract mind. Um, and one other thing I want to say about it that's probably very relevant to your journey, Ohad, is that, you know, here's the body-mind, you know, with its mind, emotions, and body. And so it looks like as we've gradually gone up the pyramid, we've got further and further away from body, and now consciousness rules everything. But because that's contained in the soul, and here's the center of the soul, the soul cares about the body as much as the mind. So the soul is coming up through matter as well as through mind, as well as through emotion. So if you're truly centered here, then you use mind as an expression of love, not as an expression of ruling the emotions and body. 
and you're just as capable of running that soul energy up through the body. So that's the coming back of Shakti um, and Shekinah and all of that through the feminine mysteries because they're not dominated by mind. Yeah. Um, so my perception, which is um, um, like the way that we arranged ourselves like as a community till now, we kind of came from that place of a surprise and uncertainty. And then we used methods and tools of, of the world out there, of like having the point holders and schedule and structure. And uh, we know when we do the dishes and we know when we eat and we know everything and when there is temple. Yeah. Um, and we also focus more on the more tangible things on physical plan because it can be measured and, and everything. Um, and, and my question is like, what I'm feeling is that if we want to let it go, there is a sacrifice here. A sacrifice of maybe harmony or a sacrifice of efficiency. Um, so yeah, I want to get your view. Well, the thing is, if we let it go, then um, it's not necessarily going to be better. Like there's a harmony between chaos and surrender and sacrifice and order. Um, and there's a lot of effort. Like for example, let's just take the drugs and alcohol thing because I know it's dear to some of you, your um, uh, lives. That if we were going to solve the drug and alcohol issue in a... Um, in a long-term way that helped humanity, we would put a lot of energy and effort into it. We wouldn't just have a rule that say no drugs and alcohol, but we wouldn't just say have, do whatever you want. We'd realize that these are powerful addictive substances. There's many different reasons for people using them, that when you have a ban, you put them into the shadow. So we would put a lot of energy and effort into helping everybody be really conscious and, under, and looking into why they're doing it and, 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 and how they could do it more consciously and how to do it collectively. That would take a lot of time. It's great for a rehab center, but it's not good for a mystery school. Okay, so, and, and you could apply that across all kinds of systems. What matters to give our time and energy to? And in that particular case, our experience over a number of years here is saying no to it is a much more efficient system than saying yes to it and then having to deal with all of the education that's required to not have it taint the shamanic field we're in. So it ends up being a very pragmatic decision. Where we are in human evolution, it's easier, and where we are in this mystery school, it's easier to say no than it is to do all of the work required to say yes in a conscious way. Okay, so in any experiment, it's not about the ideology, because that's just more mind. It's not saying, you know what, for the hyper community we really need, we should all be like this and we'll be like that and we'll be like that. That doesn't work. What works is like how we can be at the point of evolution we actually are and where do we put the most of our energy attention to help us develop as a community. So like with structures, do we use old models or do we create new ones? depends on how much energy you have to put into creating the new ones because you could spend your whole time creating new models. So we use what we use, we develop them as we go, we keep evolving 
um, but we put our attention on the thing that matters most now. So that's what we've learned over the, the time we've been here so far. We've learned following ideology, having lots of mental debate about it, having everybody give their opinion into it and so on, is just doomed for consensus group process forever and everyone wants to slit their wrists within two weeks. Um, having somebody say what everything is going to do is also doesn't work. What works is for each person to do the work of surrendering their will to the mystery and genuinely learning how to be danced by it. That's what works over time. But that's a refined art. That just doesn't happen because somebody gets told it in a lecture and then they think they have it. It happens through a process of disciplined surrender over a period of time in your life to the core of your own being, which allows you to surrender to the core of this being. So, you know, the, the patience I ask of you in that process, because we're all being thrown together, is like be in a spirit of trust that whatever is emerging here um, has its own wisdom in life that we are students of as much as contributors to. And that when we do bring our contribution, we bring it with that willingness for it to be surrendered into the pot and, um, and to add to the compost of the overall process. Some things will be used, some people, some won't. Is the life force of the community vibrating and moving more deeply? Is there more love and cohesion happening over time? That's the priority. And is the, the, the center itself, are we able to hold this energy of the mystery and of the void on the physical plane? Is that a living thing in our experience? So it sounds really abstract, but actually the subtle becomes the most important thing. And my experience here is like if I'm, if the energy, the subtle energy that's coming in from the ashramic worlds is not present here, then I may as well not do anything else because everything else will fall. Everything else will drop into the same as what's happening in the outer world. So we're relying here on something intangible. And that, that intangible thing that we call will and love and um, the ashram and the world soul, it's intangible, but it's more powerful than anything that we can think or feel or do. Yeah. So what is our role as a group in what's happening right now? Like we're really lucky to be more than 50 people with this knowledge and understanding and with all those tools. And it's great that we're in a pond, it's really fun. But is there a higher, that is also, we're doing it on the, on the plane, physical plane, and let's continue that. But what is it on the higher that wants to become? We want to open a wildlife station online that we broadcast every day. Do we want to, like, what is it that wants to come from? I don't know how many people, you said we might be the only ones on the planet sitting like that sure. together right now. What is it that wants to come from? The only, the difficulty about that question is that it assumes there is just one answer. And then that just becomes another, okay, we've all decided this is what we all should be doing. But actually for a community to work, it needs to embrace everybody 
feeling into their truth. If someone thinks the pond is the most important thing, they do the pond. If someone thinks setting up a wild love, you know, um, online thing, they do that. If what you choose to do starts to live and vibrate, others who are also vibrating to it will join you. If we spend time debating what we should all do, then we will lose energy. So the trick of a self-initiating community is everybody needs to be in their own alignment. Yes, we've got work to do and so on, but we've got plenty of hours in a day. I think we, it's important to not try to organize other people or to engage in the mental conversations with, with them about what we all should be doing or why that person isn't doing that. Or like why Bruce is in his fucking tree house and not down here doing the dishes or whatever the story is. It's a story of putting what's in our mind of what we should do on top of other people. That's just this pyramid. It's the same thing give up thinking about what other people should be doing and how to organize them. Feel into what's true for you, do the work that you need to do, and then come alive with the thing that's alive for you. And when that's alive for you, it will start vibrating with things that are alive for other people. And then that's how we will see, oh, this is what we are doing. We're doing this because it turns us on to be doing this. And enough of us say we're turned on from it. Whereas if someone tells us what to do, then we're still in the same culture. And that's what I mean is you've got to go through the terror. You've got to go through the terror of there being no one to tell you what to do. Of the yes structure to get some shit done around the place, that's important. But the rest of the time, there's you and the world's soul. And you need to have a way of tuning into that through your own soul and listening deeply and then you need to find a way of expressing that in this field and for some people they could be they could choose to spend their time online transmitting but if you get into mental arguments someone else will say well look i don't think the good use of our time is to be online at a time like this i think we should spend our time deep listening well go fucking deep listen like do what you think you should be we should be doing do it do it on your do it in your own life and do it with such power and vibrancy that it becomes infectious. And other people feel like either, oh my God, I want to do some of that, or I don't want to do that, but I love that you're doing that. You're the part of us doing that. Now I've got my sword down your back, rather than trying to use my sword to direct you. So that's probably the fundamental quality of, of life that needs to come here, is people self sourcing their livingness and leaving each other alone in that process. Other questions or dialogue? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious, like, so you said, like, you know, oftentimes, like, um, kind of the planet being past its expiration date. Yeah. So, like, so is... Um, now like why why this why this decade in particular I mean is it as simple as just like it's 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 the time for it and it's, it's the time of the general unfolding but it's like why because obviously like you know in the 30s and 40s it was being written about and people were talking about it but it seems like the actual matter of it like the time is, is now and yeah why 
Yeah, I can give you I can give you the esoteric answer, but a lot of people may fall asleep. Um, so I didn't. But I'll, I'll start to give it, and then I'll assess to see whether there's a is any interest. Okay. So the big big picture is that these um, ashrams are basically chakras in a much bigger being. Okay, and these chakras in, the, in here, it's like this whole map is dropped down to just here. Okay, so when enough humans have liberated themselves up, up here, they become the same, they become the way that cosmos, a galaxy, can manifest itself down in the chakras. So the same thing we're doing, here's, here's the chakras of a mystery school, and we're trying to stay in relationship with an ashram so that we can hold a vortex on the physical plane. In the big, big, big picture, this where human monads are, they are part of a chakra system of a much bigger being, a galaxy, a universe, right? So as beings liberate out of this system, energy from that system can come in. And it's said that every 50 years is a cycle where the beings that leave Earth evolution choose a particular path. And in 2001, just before the, the bombing of the Twin Towers, which was very interesting for another reason, they chose the path to Sirius, which is the fourth path. And that fourth path brings in a particular cosmic energy, which is the energy of freedom. This is the esoteric reason. And the energy of freedom has a particular quality when it hits souls. It liberates them from matter. Okay, so that is coming in in 2025, which is the middle of a 49-year cycle between 2001 and 2050. So as that energy comes in here, through the monadic life, comes down to the ashrams, and then gets directed down to the mystery schools here. It brings that energy of freedom, which liberates humans from um, the mind into the ashrams en masse. And the midpoint of that energy arriving is 2025. So this decade between 2020 and 2030 is the decade that this, that this energy hits. Now, from the esoteric perspective, the last time this energy hit, it produced the Second World War and um, the splitting of the atom. So we, we, we don't see it from inside because we're inside the process, but this is cosmic energy impacting Earth. And so as that little dose of that energy comes in, it has huge effects on civilization. And because we're in the middle of that change, we don't really see it. So the perspective, the cosmic perspective helps. So this decade, which is why I could say, you know, for years now, 2020 is going to be a time of planetary initiation. And it's only the beginning. Coronavirus is going to come and go in however many months. But that's not what's going on. The coronavirus is an effect of a cosmic process. Earth is not alone in cosmos. Earth is not ruled by Donald Trump. 
earth is ruled by the soul of the world that has a mystery for its existence way beyond what humans can figure out. And that mystery is demonstrating. So, you know, until we have the conversation in 2030, when we sit in the pub together and look back over the last decade, then we're, going, we're, we're having to feel what's happening. But I guarantee if you feel in your own heart, you know. This is Captain Crazy, you know. You don't have to believe me because you know it's true. You know in your heart that it's true. You know you're an incarnation for this. You just don't know what it actually looks like yet. So that knowing is why we're all here. And, and this is just an attempt to like direct our awareness and our consciousness on it so that we can listen together. Yeah, so I think that's, you know, the, the esoterics of it are beautiful if your mind is into that. Um, if it's not, then they can be challenging. And by the way, for those people who are into it, and want to spend some of their time while they're in lockdown here, deep in the esoterics, then there's really good shit here in um, the library and in and this, these teachings. Um, and it turns me on, so I'm happy to, to have this Wednesday afternoon, but I'm also happy to, to you know, answer questions or um, have other dialogues about it for those who are. Yeah. In your mission that you sent out from last Wednesday, yeah. You, I only read the first page or two, but you mentioned the various locations on Earth where these uh, mystery schools yeah. and temples are going to be birthed, here being yeah. one of them. Yeah. And so two parts of my question are, why are those places chosen? How did that happen or why? And more of that, about that. And then uh, the second part of my question is, specifically about America, because that's where I'm from. What yep. needs to happen in America for something to land there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those are two beautiful questions. Um, the first answer would be that uh, the, the revelation of where these schools are and where they come from comes from the Trans-Himalayan teachings, which is this Tibetan master I work with. Uh, why they're there, it's, it's said that some of those sites have been prepared for thousands of years. So they're not like someone has a good idea. The land itself has a living quality. Um, the way it works is in this tradition, Australia and New Zealand have the seventh ray school, which is why it's first to manifest. And by the way, the schools manifest like this. This is um, a preparatory school, an advanced school, and basically Shambhala or the void energy. So we are still not yet a preparatory school. A preparatory school people will come from between one year to three years for six months at a time. And um, to get to the point where they're stably on the buddhic plane. An advanced school will be away in the mountains somewhere where you will have already manifested an amazing piece of work in the world and you'll be running it subjectively from a mountaintop somewhere that's advanced school work. So, uh, so that's the seventh. The sixth is in America, both advanced and prep. The fifth is in Sweden, 
and Russia, um, prep and advanced. The fourth is in Japan and China, probably Tibet, I would say, is the advanced school. The fifth is, uh, the, sorry, the third is in Italy, the other way around, France and Italy. The second is in Ireland and somewhere else in the UK, maybe Scotland or Wales. And the first is in Greece and Egypt, which is one of the reasons that if this is, this is the first here in New Zealand, the seventh ray has to be linked with Egypt because it's the first ray. So if you want to hold something on the physical plane, you know, back to, to this map, if you are If this is the seventh point, you need to have a strong link to the first to hold the energy here. In fact, the Egyptian school is said to be like on the subtle planes. It'll be, it'll be the last to manifest on the physical, but because, because this is the first, we need that link strong. Okay, so your second question was America. And, uh, Part of the astrology that's given for America is like New Zealand, for example, is a Virgo personality and a Gemini soul. But America is a Gemini personality and an Aquarius soul. And it's a sixth ray personality and a second ray soul. And the particular quality of energy that comes through the second ray soul is this energy of freedom, which is why it's got a Statue of Liberty. So in America, the, the Gemini, when the Twin Towers came down, that was the sign of the Gemini personality of America beginning to fall. The sixth ray of America is Hollywood and the whole enthusiasm, the puritanical, the, you know, empire, that's the sixth ray personality. But America has a second ray soul, so it's designed to bring love, and it's got an Aquarian soul, so it's designed to bring love to the world. Okay, but the misinterpretation of that with a sixth ray personality is the whole American empire thing. So, the next decade should see America as a being humbled. If it can be humbled, like, and because the world depends upon America getting it now. Like, the, the globalization has gone too far. America is too powerful as a superpower. If it's going to be the last empire, its personality needs to be humbled. And all of the signs are there. Like, you've got Donald Trump as president. Like, you know, the personality you know, just before it gets humbled, shows its deepest core. So the opportunity, and the American has elections this year in 2020, right? Is if um, by 2025, Americans' personality is humbled and its soul can shine through, then it can bring this energy of freedom to humanity. So it's an important nation from that perspective. If not, 
it would be the it will be the nation that leads us down the plug hole of materiality. So um, it's it's a critical point, and the school in America is um, said to have going to have an advanced school. Um, an advanced school on the west coast. Obviously somewhere in California. And a prep school in the Midwest somewhere. From the teaching state. Okay. Any other questions? China as a world power. Yeah, well of course China could be the empire that we have after we don't want any more empires you know like and and there is a way in which china i think anyone who read 1492 or whatever it was said china had its opportunity to be a, a world superpower back then and they burned all the ships remember the do you know that story where the emperor burned all the ships yeah well they they decided you know out of their their confucian wisdom that they didn't want the power they would have had if they had the global outreach that England or um, some other places had. Uh, they, are, they are a third ray. That has a strong energy of the third ray. And it's said that um, the personality of the Earth is also third ray, so their focus on form and structure and intelligence and manipulation could be the center of materialism and regulation. So if the world doesn't, if the world soul doesn't land properly, then we might have China everywhere. However, in the middle of China is the fourth race school, which I believe is Tibet. So China took over Tibet in the same way that Napoleon came and you know took the obelisks from Egypt. So I don't know that that was a good <laughs> good choice for China. You know, Chinese style has always been to like surround any any anyone and capture them that way. But I think they might struggle to digest Tibet. Yeah. yeah. What about Africa in this map? It's not there. In in this map, Africa is said to be connected to base center uh, work and that its time will come in the future. And the same with South America, particularly Brazil. Particularly Brazil is said to be the home of the next cycle. So, yeah. You mentioned a minute ago that you'd be available for these conversations, but yeah. I haven't climbed up the stairs to your treehouse because I don't like people disturbing me when I'm writing. So yeah. I just want to know, like, when would be the time to approach you for that? I'm always available on the buddhic plane. Like, I'm there, like... <laughs> Totally, my shingles out, and like you can talk to me anytime you want there. And in terms of of uh, this kind of esoteric dialogue, maybe there is a uh, I'd be willing for those who want to. Maybe there's one day a week or something that we that we hang out and have lunch together and chat about these things. Is, who who would like a more esoteric input? Okay, that's going to be a big lunch. So maybe we make it this part of this Wednesday afternoon. Does that, how does that suit the curriculums and the... Uh, uh, yeah, okay, great. So other questions, yeah. Yeah, so that kind of question that's kind of mirroring the, temp the question about the temples. Yeah. And it's about the, the ashrams and specifically about the ashram of synthesis. Like, I just want to know more about it and just yeah. what, are, what are the other ashrams and... 
Right. Yeah, just unfold that. Sure. So let's go back to this this one because it, the, it, the really interesting relationship is between the ashrams and the temples. Okay, so the temples are chakras and the chakras are supposed to be expressing the quality of the ashram. So if you can get your seven chakras to express the seven rays um, of the planetary ashrams, then your chakra system of your small microcosm is aligned with the macrocosm. So if your temple, so this is a seventh ray temple, so we're in particular connected with the seventh ray ashram, and the particular quality of that, if you were, you know, the thing about these is whenever we look up, we look up through our own lens. And so we look up through individual lenses. So if, if we were looking at the seventh ray ashram through a Christian lens, it would be Magdalene. Okay, it, it, through any lens, it's the feminine because it's that seventh Shabbat energy. It's the, it's the feminine. And, and the reason it's the feminine is that it reveals that matter itself is divine. And it restores our relationship with the earth, which is why we've got earth here in New Zealand. Um, so the seventh ray ashram also rules what's coming over the next 2,000 years. So the return of the divine feminine is part of this. And this particular ashram in Haydn is going to have lots of seventh ray out pictures, but the other temples are not going to look like Haydn. The other temples are going to reflect a different quality of ashramic life um, as they land. So, for example, the first ray, which is all about the direction of energy and um, the dark in Egypt, is probably not going to look like this at all. So, as these temples land, and different seeds for them are already out there, as they land, they are going to try to orient to these chakras up here. And in between the, the ashrams and the temples is the mind and the emotions and the body of humans. So as humans, as living, temple, living pillars in the temple, we have to allow the divine mind to come through and through our hearts and through our erotic selves and through our physical bodies so that this energy can be present down here. So that's the relationship between the ashram and the chakra on the planet. Yeah. Was there more? I'm just curious about the ashram of synthesis specifically. The ashram of synthesis in particular. Okay, so these ashrams, remember there's seven and that all subdivided into seven. And the ashram of synthesis, I'm glad you asked this question now, is particularly relevant because it transmits the will. So in any system, here's the system, here's its heart, here's the crown chakra, here's the base, and then you have these two. So this is a system of energy, like a torus. So the energy of the will can operate through these three chakras, mostly. It can operate through the crown chakra, and this is the symbol for Vulcan, which is the energy that does that. It can operate through the base chakra. This is the symbol for Pluto. And it can operate through the heart. So here's how that works. Here's a bigger system. 
Here's a smaller system. So the small system has a heart, so does the big system. The small system has a crown and a base. So this energy to operate, to transform this energy with this energy, you use the will through here. You can either come round and come up. Kundalini rising. So the experience in this system of matter being activated or come in this way, crown chakra sword. Okay, or come in directly because every center is linked to the center of every other center, come in directly through the heart. So it looks to us, because we just worked with this for six weeks, right? It looks to us that one way is to go down into matter in the core of the earth. One way is to go up to consciousness. The other way is to go through the core of the heart. It's all the same thing. It's this energy operating in this system through three different entry points. But it's still this system transforming that system. So the ashram of synthesis uses the first ray, the second ray, and the seventh ray together to like defibrillate. It's the fastest way. You can work through all of the chakras and you can work through relating of all of the chakras or you defibrillate, which is hit with lightning from the top, kundalini from the bottom, and the heart in the center, and boom, you have awakening. So the ashram of synthesis transmits the energy of awakening from a greater system to a lesser system. Okay, anything else? Yeah. yeah. Of any use for us or uh, to know, because you say I am a first ray soul. Yes. Of any use for us or to know our soul rays. Yeah, they kind of become self-evident as your awakening process begins, and we have a we can have a sense of other people because of the effect of them on our energy system. Like how, how, when I'm in the presence of this person, what happens? So in my energy, when I transmit it, when I transmit my soul energy, it's, um, it's charging of the heart. Like it charges the heart and calls it to purpose. So that's, that's what my soul does. Somebody else's energy, like if you feel Ohad's energy, when he expresses, it's love. That's that quality of the second ray flowing through a field. Somebody else may express the third ray, which is that quality of intelligence, which means that um, you're not necessarily hit and called in the heart, you're not necessarily penetrated by love, but, but the intelligence of the soul is awakening your mind. So these are all different qualities of the ashrams, actually that are expressing through people. And in a seventh ray school like Haydn, you'll have a lot of people with a lot of seventh ray, but you should also have all of the rays present. And my role here as a first ray soul is like Egypt. My role is here is to ground the first seven in matter. And then all the seventh ray teachers will come in and unfold amazing um, shaktified uh, processes and my work will be done. So, each of the schools and each of the ashrams will help each other by the flowing in and out of people on different rays. Mm.
Yeah. Do we know what uh, Ray or Ashram the world soul is connected to? Yeah. And that in, in, in the rays, the, the, the personality of Earth is third ray, the soul is second, and the monad is first. It's like a, you know, one, two, three, um, which makes it really simple, really, because the second ray is love and the third ray is um, intelligence and activity and the first ray is will. So all of the ashrams are subsets of love. And evidently, it's not necessarily the same in other solar systems or other dimensions, but in this solar system, all of the rays are rays of love, including the first ray. Um, so they're just different expressions of it. It's like the first ray is tough love, um, the second ray is, is love purely, the seventh ray is embodied love. It's love as it comes into matter and through form. But they're all an expression of love. Yeah? So, obviously we're working with all the rays here, for example. Yeah. Yeah, all of the ray, all of the ray schools will be places where um, all rays can go, but they will be dominated by that ray. So, for example, um, this school has a strong embodiment river. The whole river of Ista coming into this school is the river of um, of acknowledging that uh, spirituality has to be lived in the body if it's to be grounded. Okay, but, but people say at a third race school may not have done their embodiment work much at all. They may actually be in mind. They may be like the Einsteins and the Buckminster Fullers and the so on, amazing minds. They may have lost connection with their erection 10 years ago and it doesn't matter. So that we're, we're, we tend to bias what we think the world needs from our own uh, experience. Are they likely to, to pop up in coordination with each other? Or they, they, have, they will have to. They have to. Yeah, but I think, you know, like we're probably, it said this is the beginning of like a, probably a 50 year period of the schools fully landing. So we're, we're just the first experiment. Um, and a lot of it will depend upon how fast they precipitate around the world. But deep initiates know each other across all traditions and all rays. They recognize each other because they, they, they carry a deeper vibration of the synthesis ashram. So, yeah. I want to ask uh, in relation to what we talked before. Like, I feel like there is a gift here that we can send outside if we collaborate as a group. Yeah. We're in a short time here. But I wonder, I'm asking the group now, what can we do to? can come together and do it. Not like one person say, hey, do that. It's like the same with the garden and receive something from it. Mm. Whoever feels the call is going to work at the garden. Mm. What is the project that doesn't physically do something to Hayden or doesn't give us fruits to mm. eat that we can do? Transmit to the world community. Yeah. yeah. And this is the energy of listening to what's trying to come in, which is offering ourselves to the, the mystery. But this energy you're talking about is how do we also radiate this into the world so that it's of use to others? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there's going to be a bunch of people in this community that that's going to be their thing. They would, they would really like to be involved in that. 
Um, but that will also probably end up in sub-ashrams, which is the ashram that thinks videoing is the best thing and we should transmit this from three to five minute videos online. And the ashram that think, well, you know what we really should be doing? We should be radiating on the buddhic plane so if we all meditate together for two hours a day and send this out, and others will be saying like, that's not practical, we want to, you know. So you're going to end up with quite, even within that, idea, you're going to end up with a number of different people with passion for different things. Yeah. yeah. But I do think it's a, good, it's a good initiative. It's just really a question of, like Yossi's already doing something with videos. So find, you know, my, my encouragement to people is always like, find what is alive for you and then, then do that and then support others who are also interested in that. And then collaboration comes from that. Yeah. It's one of the fascinating things about this community as it forms, because at the moment we're just an experiment. But where it's going over time is people will come in for like the six weeks of the temple training and go out. And, you know, they'll apply that however they want to in the world. Some of those then will want to come back and return. And when they're returning, they're dropping more into the service and holding space for others to have the experience. And then some of those returnees will eventually come here and live so that there'll be a mandala of people who are in residence here. And that mandala will emerge over time as people show up, you know, because they're passionate about something and that belongs here in some way and that integrates with the other points on the mandala. So... It's a fascinating process of watching community form without actually having a mental map for it. We have a mandala, but we have no idea what it's going to look like or what those points are actually going to end up being or who's going to hold them or how it's going to come together. Um, but it is happening. We've had three and a half years to watch it, and it's unfolding. And all of a sudden, between the sixth and the seventh ray, boom, instant community to experiment. So this being's having an experiment and I'm fascinated to see what is going to come out of that. And it, and it doesn't even have a goal in the sense that this is what this experiment is. It's just an experiment, you know. And we'll all wash it up at the end and harvest what that is. But what I'd like to transmit through this talk is that this experiment is part of something fucking vast. It's something that's multi-civilizational. It's something that's cosmic. You know, the glimpses that I get shown by going and, and doing the work that I do is, is how Earth is fitting into cosmic plans. And that so blows my mind that I have to come down and focus on a leaf for half an hour afterwards to just like ground me and remember I'm here in this body on this planet with laundry to do. You know, but at the same time, we're actually cosmos experimenting with itself. And that is, as we come alive and as our consciousness becomes more and more able to hold cosmic consciousness together, we're going to get revealed to us as human beings something fucking amazing. And when that, you know, revelation happens, then it's going to radically change what we think is important and what we focus our attention on and what our day-to-day -day activity is. So already just in this field, 
it's beautiful discipline to really come every day to that question of like, what matters? Does it really matter for me to have this dark feedback session with someone who's irritating me? Does that is that really the best use of my time right now? Does it really matter for me to try to figure out this system with my you know family? Does it what matters? And the more that you fine tune that to the thing that excites you the most, and you remember what that is, and you keep putting your attention to it, the more alive you'll become. And the more alive our community will become. All right, I think we're done for the day. Thank you. Can you put a word about the tonight temple?